This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. A few days ago, Health Minister Christine Elliott said the province was looking into providing people with so-called vaccine passports once they get their shots. That touched off a bit of a furor over whether, whether getting the jab could be made mandatory. Now, the premier was clear that the government won't and can't do that. But people may need to be vaccinated and show proof of that in order to travel, to attend events like live concerts, and perhaps to work in some workplaces. What do you think? And uh, is getting a passport or a proof of vaccination a good idea? 416-360- 0740 toll free 1866 740 4740. And now to sort out the legalities and the question of what is actually the right thing, we'll go to Kerry Bowman, who is a bioethicist and assistant professor of family and community medicine at uh, the Temerty Faculty of Medicine. Kara Zwiebel, Director of the Fundamental Freedoms Program at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, and Muniza Sheikh, an employment lawyer and partner at Levitt Law. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Hi Libby. Hello. Okay, let's start with Kara. Now, my understanding of this passport is the government isn't making it mandatory, but uh, they'd be giving us a document that could help us out. Do you see it differently? Um, you know, I, I think it's a, I'm concerned about the fact that we're, we're doing so much speculation about, you know, what's going to happen with the vaccine when we're really quite a long way off from it being actually accessible to uh, the vast majority of people. And I think the concern that comes up with something like a, a vaccine passport is that while the government is saying this isn't mandatory, they are sort of saying, you know, but if you choose not to have it, you're going to face some significant consequences. And so we're going to do something to sort of facilitate other groups, you know, corporations and, um, and private actors to, to restrict things to, uh, to people who, who have been vaccinated. And, um, and that makes me concerned for, for the discriminatory impacts that people will face who um, can't access the vaccine or who, who are not able to, to have the vaccine for, for health reasons. Um, yes, but, um, you know, uh, there are you know, governments or, or uh, whatever bodies that are totally uh, outside of Ontario's control that can impose these. Sure. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it, it shouldn't, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be available to someone to, to demonstrate that they've had the vaccine if they have. I mean, you know, when my children are vaccinated, I, the doctor signs their, their immunization form that, so that I can show the school. Um, but this idea of sort of a, a vaccine passport that, you know, might be used to, to, to grant access to some places or, or deny access to, to places, um, it's concerning and it's, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit sci-fi at this point. We don't really know what it means. There's also just a lot we don't know about the vaccine right now. We, we, 
Um, I mean, we, we know that it's largely or it appears to be largely effective in, in preventing people from um, from getting the virus, but we, we don't actually know if it's effective in preventing people from spreading it, um, which would seem to be the main reason you'd be looking for, for proof before, you know, letting someone, it's, someone it's, access it, the service. It will be multiple vaccines. Uh, Carrie Bowman, do you see this idea of a vaccine passport the same way as a dangerous thing? Well, you know, I see it as kind of mixed, right? And, you know, whether we like it or not, I think it's going to happen. And I think in most cases, market forces will drive this. Um, you know, when we look at travel, you know, I, I work overseas a lot. There's lots of countries in the world you're not going to set foot in there unless you've got a yellow fever vaccination. So those types of things are coming. But, but you know, I, I think our government's breathing a sigh of relief where they can say, you know, we're not going to do this, but be prepared that this is likely going to happen. But I would agree fully. We're really speculating. Um, you know, and again, you know, the nature of the vaccine itself, how many vaccines, I do think it's coming. And I do think that whenever you create a, an in and an out group, you've got concerns with justice. Uh, you know, there are people that are immunocompromised that can't take vaccines. There's a very, very remote element of religious uh, choice with this. I've been trying to study it. It's, it. it's not any of the mainstream religions at all, but that wouldn't take a vaccine. But look, any Canadian that says, I'm completely opposed to this, I don't ever want it, it does raise ethical questions. Um, but again, I, you know, I don't know how, uh, hopefully we'll soon hear from a legal person, you know, can a restaurant easily say this? I, I think they probably could, but I don't know. Uh, sports, you know, theaters. So what we may be looking at, let's imagine June, July, August, like summer of 21, we just don't know. Uh, well, yeah, and, uh, you know, you talked about actual religions. I mean, some of those anti-vaxxers, they certainly behave like it's it's a religion, um, yeah. and uh, but it's not. Uh, so let, let's bring in the lawyer, Muniza Sheikh. Hi. Hi there, Libby. How are you? Fine. So uh, does an employer have the right to tell employees, hey, if you want to come back to the office, you better get vaccinated? So it depends. Um, and of course, not the first time a lawyer gives an evasive and frustrating response, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think it's largely dependent on, you know, what's happening province and company wide. So ultimately, you know, there's three different scenarios as I see them. There is, you know, where it's mandatory and then it's indisputable that everyone has to take the vaccine. Where it's not mandatory, but, you know, you've got this sort of supportive narrative from the government saying, well, but you can't do this. and You may not be able to go to concerts. And if your organization that you work for can demonstrate that, you know, their safety rights under the occupational health and safety legislation trump um, your freedom of, uh, you know, your freedom under the charter or your freedom to, you know, stay away from the vaccine if it's for uh, health reasons or if it's for religious reasons. I mean, I think that's where um, you expect to see a lot of um, debate in terms of what becomes, you know, acceptable in the workplace. And the third scenario is the government says, look, it's not mandatory and they say nothing more. So I think in that scenario, if you have an employer that's saying, look, you're, you're, you can't come to work. Um, unless you can clearly demonstrate that you've received this vaccine and there isn't that mandatory and there isn't this pressure to take the vaccine, in that scenario, an employer would be very hard-pressed to keep you out of the workplace. The challenge we have now is we are going to see, and I appreciate that this is still, you know, quite a while away and so much of this is conjecture, but the challenge we have is we're now going to see a bunch of employers with, with policies popping up saying, well, this should be mandatory for my workplace 
place because. And then we're going to see a lot of those policies being, uh, you know, litigated either at administrative tribunal level, because they'll probably be a little bit faster, or in the courts. Um, and my concern as employment lawyer, of course, uh, notwithstanding the fact that I largely ask for, um, I largely ask, act for management, is that we're going to see a lot of employees who are not going to be able to um, earn a living because of this vaccine. So it's going to create even more issues when what it's supposed to do is to bring people back to work. Okay, let, let me just uh, drill down on this. First of all, is it clear that a hospital, a long-term care home, or another type of healthcare setting can can say, uh, if you want to work here, you have to have a vaccine? Is, is there a clear yes or no answer to that? It's not clear. And the reason for that is essential workers are the first to get the vaccine. So you already have the government saying that, look, safety is such a significant concern for this group of people that it automatically trumps their occupational health and safety concerns. So is the hospital going to turn around and then say, well, you can't even work here unless you get the vaccine? I suspect that's what they're going to say. But no one is saying that today in very clear language. Carrie? (laughs) Yeah, no, I would agree exactly. And look, I you know, I, I know people working in the hospital. It's a minority of people right now. Spoke to them a couple of days ago who are saying, I don't want it. If it's available tomorrow, I actually don't want it. Um, so we're really going to need some. And, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that's a majority. But, you know, people have their own opinions. And um, so so that absolutely, uh, you know, could occur. Um, I would also just add, Libby, like, I, I actually don't think this conversation is premature. I mean, the problem is we are every, each one of us is speculating, speculating. I get that. But, you know, waiting until it's on top of us isn't a good idea either, because this is the nature of the pandemic. We need to look down the road well, and we need to discuss what's coming. I, I agree. And and to Kara's point, I mean, if the government does end up issuing something like this, it's, it's not going to be the yellow card that we had for travel 20 no, years ago. It's no, going to no, be no, something no. high tech. And and for government to roll that out, oi, that's <laughs> that's all I, know. I can say that they better be thinking about it now. And I'm I'm glad that they are. But um, let me ask Muniza Sheikh. So here is an example the place where I work. So uh, a lot of the people who work here are a bit older. And when right now, there's only a few of us who come in. But under normal circumstances, we serve an an older audience. We've got public concerts all the time. We've got seminars. We've got uh, live tapings of TV shows with a live audience. Can a workplace like that say, since we serve a vulnerable population, can can we say, well, you, you've got to you've got to get vaccinated? So, any workplace would have to take their direction from the government, and so the government is something you know, obviously, the entity that could have considered this and could have issued a mandate accordingly. So, unless you have the government explicitly, government directives explicitly stating that, look, if you are a workplace where, you know, exposure to, again, what you might qualify as older workers or older audience, customers, clients, what have you, exposes you. And in that circumstance, right out, you know, right out the gate, you can implement a policy that wouldn't violate somebody's rights under the code and would be in line with your obligations to the Occupational Health and Safety Act, then you'd be fine. But you're still going to have to make that pitch in the workplace because you will still get that one employee or two or maybe more saying, I'm not going to take this vaccination. So that's precisely what I meant about we're going to see a ton of these policies being challenged with employers having to take the forefront and say, well, even though the government's not necessarily saying it explicitly, here's why I think it's appropriate for my workplace. 
So, you know, it's automatically, if you're looking to trump an employee's right to take or not take a vaccination, you better have a good, strong argument to back it up. And uh, I, I saw um, a, a lawyer's opinion uh, that said, basically, you can't make it mandatory, but you could say to a person who says no, okay, now you, you have to work remotely. And then if working remotely interfered with the, the, their ability to do the job, then that, that in turn could lead to discipline. Do you agree with that view or you say it all has to be worked out? I think I don't agree with that view in my, you know, while you can certainly offer an accommodation, like, so your policy essentially would be that we're going to put up, you know, uh, anybody who is not willing to take the vaccination is going to work remotely. And what I've said to my employer clients who have raised this with me is what you can't do is create a situation where those who are sitting at home remotely working because they chose not to take vaccination are somehow being treated in a, you know, differential manner in comparison with their colleagues who are in the workplace. So whether that means being disciplined because they can't do their job properly because they're remote or they're not being offered some sort of incentive, whether it's a bonus, because they're not in the workplace, all of that could lead to, um, you know, a punitive approach to someone if, to someone who's trying to exercise their right not to take the vaccine. So again, it's an area which unfortunately is still quite gray. What I'm saying to employers is, look, if you feel very strongly about people not being able to work, um, be in the workplace physically because they're not vaccinated, be mentally prepared to um, put some money aside and, and uh, because you're going to have to start offering people severance packages because I don't believe as it stands that there's anything rooted in the law that's going to allow you to walk them to the door with no money or discipline them to be. Hmm. Kara uh, Zwiebel, let's, let's bring you back in. I mean, does, does this civil liberties have anything to say if, as um, Muniza suggested, so telling employers if you feel strongly you're going to have to dismiss people without cause and pay them out? I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, certainly I'm, I'm a lawyer as well, but not an employment lawyer. And I would uh, definitely defer um, to, to someone who practices in that area um, about, about what, you know, what the current state of the law is. But I, I think um, at, at this stage, it, it is the case that, um, you know, refusing to be vaccinated. I mean, maybe there is, um, and I, I think, you know, context is important. We talk, we were just talking about this, you know, I think a long-term care facility is a very different workplace than, uh, you know, um, a broadcasting station or a newsroom or, um, you know, a, a place where you may have really minimal contact with, with vulnerable people. So um, I think the context matters a lot, but, but at this stage, I don't think it would be, um, you know, I think you'd have to accommodate someone who, who is uh, unable to get a vaccine or who refuses a vaccine for, for conscientious reasons. Um, or, or, and- or stupid reasons, <laughs> if I may say. That, Libby. I wish I could say that. I'm not allowed. <laughs> well, or or extremely stupid reasons. But, for sure. I mean, the, the charter doesn't, you know, the, the charter actually doesn't really differentiate between um, religion and conscience. It, it, we, we talk about freedom of religion a lot more, but conscience is, is it, you know, it's, it's contained in the same um, right in the charter. And um, you know, we don't get to decide who whose ideas are are stupid or not, and and unfortunately, there. I mean, there are people. Lucky I, I for me, I do. <laughs> yeah, this is a fascinating conversation. I've I've got to take some of these calls. Let's go to Alan in Toronto. Hi, Alan. 
Hello, Mrs. Zanaylik. Uh, thank you very much for, for listening to me. Go ahead. Um, I better identify myself right away. I am an anti-vaxxer. Okay. I'm, I'm one of those stupid persons. Okay. And I do believe in, in informed consent. I'm not a medical person, but I do read a lot for of various opinions on this matter. The other day I was reading an interesting comment by Dr. Michael Yaden um, in, in England. He's the former chief executive officer of Pfizer. He's a microbiologist. And he says that the total case mortality ratio for this uh, epidemic at the current level is basically the same for any other year in the last decade. Mm, I don't think so. Well, he says in Britain, for instance... Uh, I don't, I mean, you know what? I, I, I will look up those numbers and, uh, if you want to call back tomorrow on free for all Friday, we can debate the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but that's, uh, that's been shown not to be true. I've seen lots of, uh, uh, stuff on what they call an excess death rate, which is, uh, above and beyond the normal yearly number of deaths and it, and it's very large. So, Alan. Mr. Mr. Yaden, Dr. Michael Yaden, attributes part of that to the fact that people who need cancer surgery, uh, heart, okay, heart so, issues, sorry, yes, um, all they of can't them. get into the hospital, and so the excess death rate, like you mentioned, has yeah. um, increased, but not necessarily directly related to COVID. Okay, well, it's it's related to COVID. Alan, like I said, if you want to debate the numbers, call back tomorrow when I have them in front of me. Let's go to John in Pickering. Hi, John. Hi there. Let me, I'll leave you with a couple of uh, items, please. First, I, I am a vaxxer, and I really believe uh, passports are a great idea. I think it should be linked as an addition to the health card that we all have. That way you're not having something separate to have in your wallet. That way it can be swiped by airlines, border crossings, V-rails, medical office, whatever. The other thing I think is um, regarding the uh, workplace, I think it should be mandatory for the workplace. I think it's a health and safety issue. Just as you cannot get on a construction site without a hard hat and safety boots, this is just as important for everybody in the workplace. I'll, I'll leave those with you, and uh, I look forward to your comments. Thank okay, you. Okay, thanks. Okay, let's go to Susan in St. Catharines. Hi, Susan. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, now, they're talking about the vaccine. The vaccine protects you from getting the virus, but you can still carry the virus even if you've had the vaccine. So making it mandatory mm-hmm. and stopping you from going to work... I'm going to let Carrie and it's yourself that you're protecting. I I I'm going to let Carrie weigh in on that because I don't know if that's accurate what you said. Yeah, Susan, that may turn out to be true, but you know, even right now, uh, we actually don't know that yet. But if that is true, and you know, we we made these comments earlier on, um, we really need this kind of information before we go further with these kind of policies. It may be true. We still don't know, believe it or not. But I'm assuming we will in the weeks and months ahead quite soon. I've I've heard, Carrie, people say that uh, their argument is, OK, uh, if if somebody takes a vaccine and it protects them, if I don't take one, then I'm the only person I'm putting at risk. Is 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 that a valid? No, not from an ethical point of view, because, you know, so much of vaccines is, is, you know, it's partly about us, but it really is an act of altruism. You are really trying to protect the most vulnerable people within our society from serious illness and absolutely the potential for death. 
So even if a person has very, very low risk, um, you know, it is an act of altruism. The challenge with that, Libby, is some people don't care about that. Uh, yeah. a lot of, <laughs> some people care deeply and it resonates um, and others don't. And that's why it is so very challenging or they don't believe it or something. But, you know, I'm around a lot of younger people like I'm a university professor. So my students tend to be in their early 20s. They get it. Uh, Their risk is not significant, but they get it, uh, you know, in terms of the choices they're making and the limitations they have, that it's all about other people. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh, (laughs) I've heard heard a lot of younger people who who are the opposite say, hey, you know, this this is not going to be a big deal for me, so... Why yeah. should I? But uh, I'm glad to hear that about your students. Probably you're a good influence on them. No, I don't know if it's about me, but they are pretty good. And that's why it's so important to have these conversations, because, you know, one thing we've learned in this pandemic is so much of our behavior is not just about us. And in a society that values individuality and personal freedom, we've had to rethink a lot of stuff in the last 10 months. And, you know, Hopefully, that's going to have been a very good thing for all of us. Hopefully. Um, we're out of time, so I'm going to give Carrie and Muniza also a chance uh, to leave us with with uh, what they're thinking about about uh, 20 seconds each. Kara? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, just to, 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 what, to Carrie's point, I, I think that um, I, I do think, you know, the, the majority of people are... are are interested in in the greater good and um and I, I guess i I wouldn't want us to get into a situation where we're we're completely sort of directing the narrative at the small minority of people who who aren't uh, who don't have that best interest at heart um and and I do worry about this passport idea, especially when we don't when we don't know yet exactly what the impacts of the vaccine are. so I think it's really important that we gather that knowledge and that we we make policy based on the evidence that we have. And Muniza? I would simply say, you know, as a management side lawyer, I encourage all uh, small businesses, large businesses, medium-sized businesses that are listening to, you know, um, ensure that they do their best to keep employees at work. And yes, safety is extremely important, but, you know, take direction from, uh, you know, the government essentially and, you know, don't implement rules um, in the workplace that prevent people from being able to earn a living because we've just seen far too much of that this year. Okay. And just yeah. just a, a very final thing for Muniza. So w- with that advice to employers, so it depends if you're regulated by the province or by the federal government, right? Absolutely. It all depends on whether you're regulated. But um, if you're going to implement a policy, do the research, um, even if it may not uh, make you as popular from a PR perspective is all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I'm sure we'll be picking up this conversation uh, another time soon. It's fascinating. Thank you so much, Kara Zwiebel, Carrie Bowman, and Muniza Sheikh. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.